Cozy Robots. I'm Mike McCarg. And I'm Grace Vaughn. And I forgot to start streaming the show because I have COVID-19, which is mm-hmm. what this episode of the program is going to be about, is COVID-19 and breakthrough, ex- breakthrough infections and what's that's, what that's like. Uh, you'll just go ahead and have to give me like a big hall pass on this episode. I do not have my normal cognitive clarity or recall or stamina mm-hmm. um, as I am still recovering from uh, COVID as a fully vaccinated person. So uh, we had a show on the, the, the books to do, I think yesterday, and yesterday I was in a bad way. And today I have enough energy, I think, to do a super easy <laughs> recording of the show with Grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to take your questions and... Uh, and that's pretty much what we're going to do today is take your questions about COVID and vaccination and kind of what we do now. And um, yeah, as always, uh, you want to fact check anything I say, but especially this week when my head is is kind of cottony, you definitely want to double check any facts or figures or sources that I cite on this episode. Well, Mike, without further ado, let's jump into the questions Obviously, the main question on everybody's mind, I'm already seeing it in chat. I saw it all across the DMs we were getting on socials is, how are you feeling, Mike? How are you doing? How are you holding up? A big turn today. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, I feel like I have a cold. Okay. And with the caveat, I require like two to three times the normal amount of sleep um so i'm sleeping 10 or 12 hours a night sometimes and then i'm taking multiple multi-hour naps during the day and as soon as i wake up from a nap i feel pretty good and Mm. then my energy level just kind of plummets rapidly uh especially when i try to do anything i kind of dug into my email for the first time since my symptoms appeared today and uh, after about an hour of doing email, I was like really, really tired. And so I took a nap. Mm, yeah. Um, and, uh, but I, now I feel okay. Now I have not felt okay before today, uh, really early in the pandemic when I realized how important uh, blood oxygen levels were in determining severity of a COVID case. I bought ourselves, our family, a pulse oximeter. Uh, mm. Assuming number one, there'd be they'd be hard to get later in the pandemic, and they were. And number two, we wanted to have an ability to initially screen ourselves without having to go to a healthcare facility uh, because we really didn't want to get COVID. And um, you know, I started having uh, some really low blood oxygen values coming across. Um, my lowest score was an eighty-nine, which is one percent from a full-blown medical emergency. Holy crap. And I actually had a pretty intense conversation with my primary care doctor about going to the emergency room. Namely, they wanted me to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought uh, that was premature, uh, mainly because Americans' healthcare system is terrible and I didn't want to get a giant ER bill. Right, <laughs> right. I didn't want to have to go to the GoFundMe chain train again mm-hmm. to try to get out of medical debt. So. 
I took the risky decision of declining emergency care and supplemental oxygen under the bargain with my um, my doctor that I would continue to monitor the pulse oximeter basically continuously because uh, by that point the the scores had gotten back up in the low 90s which is still concerning mm -hmm. and that if it dipped below uh, basically a 93 I'd go straight to the ER and it did not I hung right at 93 for a long time Damn. but I, I didn't go back below it and with that I felt just an overwhelming sense of it almost felt like I had a like I felt when I had a brain injury from a motorcycle accident, any kind of concentrating, decision-making, parsing information, reading, writing, everything was incredibly difficult and overwhelming. I actually tried playing a game of Destiny with some of our cozy robots because I was just bored out of my mind from right. sitting in a room quietly all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, just playing the game was so intense, I found that you know, my tear ducts on both sides of my eyes activate and I got this really severe headache. I had a lot of headaches. I had a, a pretty bad cough. I had really bad sinus pressure and congestion. I had uh, instances of really severe vertigo, like as bad as I've ever had. And I have damage to my vestibular system from a motorcycle accident. So I'm no stranger to pretty intense vertigo. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what we understand about uh, vaccinated people is that they're very low risk of a severe case of COVID and severe in medical context is a very specific uh, definition. And that basically means you have to go to the hospital for medical intervention. Anything short of that's a mild case. So I would in no way call my case mild, but medically it was mild because I didn't go to the hospital. Now, if I would have don't what doctor said and gone to the ER, I would have been classed as a severe case. And I'd probably have a lot of attention from the CDC right now as the CDC is closely watching severe cases of COVID from vaccinated people because that's obviously a concern. A mild case is not a big deal. Jenny has COVID too. She had a cold uh, with some flu symptoms and she lost her sense of taste and smell. But at no point was was there a concern that uh, Jenny needed to go to the hospital or Jenny like couldn't function around the house or whatever, whereas I've been uh, in a much worse way. Mm. and uh so i'm doing better now and it, it, it was a rough week it was a rough week to get to this point today where I, i'm starting to realize like okay i'm probably going to get over this and um you know we'll see what happens in terms of uh, long covid and the potential there i don't know we nobody really understands the mechanisms behind long covid and, and what fully what the risk factors are i'm hoping uh, that this time next week, COVID is something I remember having and not something I I still experience. So a lo very long answer. Right now, I feel pretty good. And okay. as recently as yesterday, I felt like terrible and had some concern like, will this ever end? And I think, you know, when you're when your cells aren't getting enough oxygen, it's hard to be yeah. in a place of like emotional resiliency, right? Like my body right. knew on some level, uh, that something was very wrong before I even picked up the pulse oximeter. Uh, I was I was feeling very very bad, and I finally I was like, yeah, I should probably check this. And the first time I put the pulse oximeter on, um, you know, I uh, had a ninety two. I thought I was like, well, that's got to be an error. So we put it on Jenny's finger, and Jenny immediately scored. Who has COVID? Immediately scored a ninety seven. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh! I put it back on my finger, ninety one. <laughs> so. 
Um, by the way, that's why we decided to get tested, even though we're vaccinated. You know, we, my family isolated fully for the whole lockdown. You know, we would uh, occasionally, when cases were low, we would have one other household over in our backyard, socially distanced, and then isolate for 14 days after that encounter. And that was the extent of the social interactions we had. All our food was uh, delivered or like curbside pickup, drop it in the trunk, including our groceries. We were really, really careful and isolated. The mental health cost on my family, particularly my children, was intense. And so once all four members of my family were vaccinated, we decided to celebrate by going to Disneyland, where we brought home a commemorative case of COVID mm. for both me and Jenny, likely Delta, because Delta is the one that A, transmits really, really quickly, and B, uh, you know, some studies are showing it's pro- in Israel indicate that vaccines, the good ones, the mRNA vaccines are about 65% effective. The CDC questions those numbers, but I'd say based on the number of people I know who have COVID, I think there might be some merit to the notion that breakthrough infections are more common than we believe, uh, right? The CDC might say right now for the U.S. But uh, anyway, so the kids don't have COVID. We've tested them. They're negative. We're temperature screening them all every day. My mom is in town. Uh, she's vaccinated. She likewise uh, has tested negative. We gave her a COVID test for temperature screening every day. Um, and we'll continue testing as necessary. So, Mike, uh, some people are wondering what vaccine you got. That's a great question. I got the Moderna vaccine. Okay. Uh, two doses. My second dose was April 15th. So I should really be at, like, the peak of immunity from those vaccines based on what <laughs> we understand. I've had enough time for it to fade in and mm-hmm. not enough time for any potential fade out. Uh, Jenny had um, the uh, Pfizer vaccine, and her second dose was like three days ahead of mine. So likewise, she should be at peak immunity from Pfizer. And yet, not one of us got COVID. Both of us got COVID. Um, At K underscore Greggs on Instagram asked, do you think the vaccine lightened your symptoms at all? And at Cal underscore Alden on Twitter asked, I've heard the COVID... I've heard that COVID causes people to have brain memory issues and taste lost. Why is that? Okay, let's take those separately. Okay. As I don't have enough memory. Yeah. Hold on to both one. What was that first one? Well, as I was reading, I realized that the questions weren't exactly very linked. So that's on me. So the first one is uh, from Kay Greggs on Instagram who asked, do you think the vaccine lightened your symptoms at all? Yeah, almost certainly, right? So when we look, I do think breakthrough cases are much more common than the CDC kind of wants to communicate right now. Um, And I think that actually should change the way we respond to COVID. I think we should still have much more common testing strategies. I think actually masks are probably still advised in most places, other things like that that are very unpopular among even kind of progressive and liberal people. But uh, epidemiology is epidemiology. Um, But... uh, we are studying and counting and measuring vaccinated people who go to the hospital or die. And we just know statistically those are very, 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 very rare outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that tells us that uh, vaccinations do reduce the severity of outcomes when you have COVID. Now, I might have gotten COVID. And had a mild case. It's possible. But given the number of comorbidities, the number of health-based risk factors I have, 
like a history of cardiovascular disease, heart disease specifically, uh, and uh, asthma, as well as uh, my um, medically I'd be called obese. I'm kind of a, with the healthy at every size movement that I don't think that's a particularly helpful term in a lot of contexts. But I have several comorbidities that would increase that likelihood to for severe case. And so the fact that I had low blood oxygen events as a vaccinated person actually really makes me feel smart and wise for being as isolated as I was during uh, the pre-vaccination period of the pandemic, where I suspect, yeah, I would have been headed straight for the ICU and probably a ventilator uh, if mm. I would have gotten COVID. Now, I don't, I can't say that for sure, but I can say it's extraordinarily likely based on the data that my COVID symptoms were less severe because of uh, the vaccine. Likewise, you know, Jenny has some comorbidities as well. I won't share those publicly. Those aren't mine to share. Uh, she she can share them publicly if she'd like. But uh, she had a very, very mild case. She had a couple of days she felt really crummy like you would when you're coming down with the flu. Uh, and then she kind of bounced back pretty quick. And even her, her smell and taste are returning now. And I think it's likely both of us would have had severe case presentations without the help of these wonderful, wonderful vaccines that I'm so uh, glad we have. And we are so fortunate to have an ample supply of in the United States. You mentioned your symptoms earlier, Mike. And so I'll ask this question at Cal underscore Alden on Twitter asks, I've heard that COVID causes people to have brain slash memory issues and taste loss. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Thanks. Hope you and your family get better soon, Mike. Yeah, I've certainly experienced uh, some of the brain stuff already. And Jenny experienced the lack of smell and taste. Now, uh, remember, SARS-CoV-2 is still novel, meaning it's still new. Now you'd be like, what do you mean it's new? It's COVID-19. I mean, compared to like influenza or the <laughs> rhinovirus, viruses mm -hmm. we've studied for <clears throat> decades. Scientists are still kind of getting to know SARS-CoV-2, although we know a lot about the virus itself. What we're still learning about is how it interacts with the human body. And given that if you take SARS-CoV-2 and you put it in a Petri dish with human cells and very few of those cells die when compared to putting influenza in a Petri dish with human cells where there's lots of cell death because influenza is very aggressive, that and many other pieces of evidence lead us to believe that most of the issues people have when they get COVID, which is the disease, COVID infectious disease, or excuse me, coronavirus infectious disease is COVID, meaning a disease caused by SARS-CoV-2, the virus, which has many variants. Um, most of the symptoms that you get from that disease are from your immune system responding and likely far over-responding to the virus, SARS-CoV-2, which on its own, coronaviruses aren't usually very dangerous. Most coronaviruses cause what? Colds. There's lots of coronaviruses, common coronaviruses, that cause the common cold. So this novel virus, this weird one, SARS-CoV-2, our immune systems tend to overreact to it, and that's likely responsible for the kind of neurological impacts we see people have related to COVID, although we don't know that for sure. The smell and taste thing might be different. It could be immune-related, or it could be the fact that COVID propagates uh, or, or gets into our body using these ACE2 receptors, and a lot of those line our nose and our throat. And they're in the same neighborhood as our olfactory senses. 
sensors and our taste buds. So uh, there could be some kind of neighborhood actual mechanism of action, but again, those are not well understood. I have seen several papers that uh, put forward theories about the mechanism of action of those symptoms, uh, and I've seen some that contradict what I've read. So uh, I'm not qualified enough to weigh in when scientists disagree. <laughs> I can only communicate what scientists say. So I would say those are open questions to science right now and likely – uh, I think there's a consensus about this. It's related to the immunoresponse to the virus uh, that our bodies have. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. AJ on Discord asks, should I be worried about getting COVID as a fully vaccinated Pfizer person who works with the public? Worried? No. No, I actually think my experience outlines the fact that vaccinated people should not worry. We shouldn't have anxiety. We shouldn't be preoccupied with COVID. But we should be cautious. We should be um, intentional in the actions we take. Uh, there's a couple of concerns here. Uh, one is a vaccinated person can get COVID probably and transmit it to an unvaccinated person. I likely got COVID from an unvaccinated person. Vaccinated person to vaccinated person transmission seems to be very, very rare indeed. Um, we'll see if the data bears that over time. But right now, it seems unlikely for vaccinated people to pass COVID to each other. Certainly, you know, my children and my mother have been in the home with us now for a week with two active COVID cases. They're all still negative. Um now, that's an anecdote that doesn't support uh, – an anecdote doesn't create data, but we're seeing that over and over in data as well. Um, but we want to be careful about potentially transmitting the virus to unvaccinated people, and this is important. It's actually not great anytime a vaccinated person transmits COVID because what you're doing is you're taking a genetic version of SARS-CoV-2 that knows how to what? Survive in a vaccinated immune system and transmit itself. So we'd really, ideally, every vaccinated person who gets COVID, we'd like that infection to stop with them so that the virus that's learned how to infect somebody with a vaccination doesn't pull that trick off and teach their friends. So I would say if you're vaccinated and you get cold or flu symptoms, start self-isolating immediately. Get yourself an antigen test immediately at a drugstore. They're like 30 bucks in 15 minutes you can, you know, have a... a you, a positive antigen test is basically you can count on that. A negative you can't really count on with an antigen test. But if you have a positive, you immediately be in a self-isolating. Either way, go ahead and go get a PCR test, which is the gold standard for diagnosing. See if you have COVID or not. You know, I took an antigen test while I had a PCR test scheduled. Why? Because I had a friend who was coming over. Kevin Garcia was going to stay over at our house. I haven't seen Kevin since before the pandemic. We were so excited to see Kevin, but I didn't want Kevin coming to my house if I had COVID. So I went and got an antigen test. I swabbed my own nose. I did the test. I was shocked to see a positive result for both me and for Jenny. And I texted Kevin and said, hey, I've got COVID. I got to start quarantining right now. Because I don't want the virus that's in my body to get in anyone else's body for obvious reasons. I don't want to help spread a version of COVID that knows how to bypass vaccines. So, no, don't be anxious. Don't be terrified. Vaccinated people really should feel empowered to start living more normally. 
but understand like it's still high risk to go somewhere like a theme park or a concert. That's how I got COVID masked mm-hmm. at a theme park. Um, and when you get symptomatic, test immediately and still isolate uh, because we do we don't want to teach COVID how to get around vaccines. That's a bad outcome for everyone. A question that follows up along the lines of what to do and what not to do once you're vaccinated. At Bon Loves Picks on Instagram asks, going to a wedding this weekend, only vaccinated invites. Can I catch COVID still? Uh, Yes, but it's very (laughs) unlikely you'll catch COVID at a fully vaccinated Mm -hmm. gathering like that. Yeah. Um, If everyone's vaccinated, I totally, uh, uh, obviously, I agree with the guidelines of epidemiologists everywhere. If everyone's vaccinated, you don't need any mitigations. You don't need masks. You don't need social distancing. Now, I mean, uh, given the amount of rhinoviruses and RSV infections and other seasonal viruses that are surging right now, I might mask anyway just to avoid something other than COVID. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. uh, your chance of going to that wedding and catching something that's going to cause like a medical event in your life are extraordinarily low. Uh, Now, we do know that there, very sadly, are people literally buying and trading uh, fake fraudulent proofs of vaccination um so there there is some level of trust there do you know everyone's really vaccinated or if some people said they're vaccinated in order to participate in something socially so again uh there is some risk there based there's more risk from people being dishonest than there is from you catching covid from a vaccinated person now but you have to get to that wedding and it's likely to get to that wedding you have to spend a lot of time around unvaccinated people like at an airport or on mass transit or something like that. So it is, it is, you are taking on some risk, but the whole point of the vaccines is the risk you're taking is much reduced. You're much less likely to get COVID, uh, even Delta. You're less likely to Delta, even though Delta's reasonably robust in transmitting to vaccinated people. But you're so much less likely to go to the hospital or die from COVID. Uh, and that's that's the big win from the vaccines. Even with Delta, even with Delta Plus or Lambda or any of these new variants, mm. we're not seeing people go to the hospital or die who are vaccinated. Mike, one last question before we go to ads. At I am Lindsay Bell on Instagram asks, fully vaxxed with cold symptoms plus fever. Rapid test came back negative. Can I trust that? No, write in the instructions of an antigen test. The rapid tests you get at a drugstore are called antigen tests. They are evaluating for the presence of certain proteins in your nasal passage, uh, proteins that are on the virus. Um, And antigen tests, usually there'll be two in the package, and they'll tell you to take those tests 36 hours apart because the confidence in a negative isn't that good. Number one, just in the test itself. And number two, in timing. If you take a COVID test, even a PCR test, really early in a COVID infection, it can come back negative. So especially if you're vaccinated, because the viral particle counts, the number of viruses in your body, in your bloodstream, in your respiratory tract for vaccinated people is much lower than unvaccinated people, even if you catch COVID. So, uh, you know, when I, my first antigen test was positive, but I mean, you had to squint to see that, that second line. My second test was much, much less ambiguous. So you should take a positive from an antigen test seriously. You should take a negative as like, maybe, 
<laughs> especially yeah. if you're symptomatic, the right thing to do there is get a PCR test. Now, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Number one, doctor's offices and testing sites. I know here in LA, there are still tons of testing sites open. Thank goodness that's the right strategy. But you can also, like at most uh, pharmacies, you can grab a PCR kit off the shelf, uh, administer the test yourself, and then mail the sample away, uh, typically via a, a parcel service that's quick, and get results in one or two days. Um, which is going to be the same weight you're going to have in most contexts unless you pay for like expedited process, uh, processing on like a travel COVID test where they'll give you results in a few hours. Uh, but the PCR test for negative is what you want to trust. Antigen tests, those rapid tests, you can trust the positives. Does that make sense, Grace? Like the difference there? That does make sense. I haven't talked about COVID and testing in, in quite a while. <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a loopy enough. It's hard for me things. to tell how I'm talking <laughs> Right, right. No, that made perfect sense. Very, very helpful answer. And thank you all for sending in your questions. We're going to get to the next batch of questions right after these ads. All right, here we go. A thankful to our sponsors who make this show possible. This week, I'd like to tell you about my friends over at KiwiCo. KiwiCo creates hands-on projects for kids of all ages to make learning about science, technology, engineering, art, and math fun. You might hear that abbreviated STEAM sometimes. And when you sign up for KiwiCo, they send you a box in the mail every month that comes with all the supplies you need to do that month's project. That means there's not going to be runs to the store or orders on e-commerce sites to try to get a missing piece. Each one of those boxes comes with, number one, all the materials, number two, kid-friendly instructions, and number three, a learning magazine to deepen understanding of the concept presented. They let you learn about things in ways that are hands-on and really fun, really exciting. I've done a ton of Kiwi co-projects, as has every member of my family. We have built um, uh, paint spinners. We have built uh, musical instruments. We've built hydraulic arms. We've built robots. We've built headphones and learned about how those things work as we do. My kids, who are teens, have told me that when a subject comes up in school that they've done a Kiwi Co. box about, they feel more confident. They feel like the subject is easier, and they feel like their test scores are higher as a result of the activity. So Kiwi Co. is a great service, one of our favorite and most long-running sponsors. And uh, they'd love for you to get started with STEAM learning in your family today. So you can get your first month free on select crates by going to kiwico.com slash cozy robots. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash cozy robots. Another sponsor we'd like to tell you about this week is our friends over at BetterHelp. Uh, you can learn all about BetterHelp by going to betterhelp.com slash cozy robot. You know, life is full of stressors. It doesn't matter who you are, uh, or what you have, your life still probably has a lot of stressors in it. And uh, I certainly have my own stressors in life all the time, trying to figure out how to start this company that makes the Cozy Robot show and does other things and how to create a culture there that's supportive for everyone involved while still getting our work done, how to balance that with uh, my family, how to how to thrive with my family as we learn to be around people again. 
Uh, all those things are stressful. They're good, but they're stressful. And you may not realize it, um, but that stress adds up. You may or may not feel down. You may or may not feel depressed. Uh, but if your stress is high, you'll notice that your emotions are just more reactive. Your temper is shorter than usual. Uh, or if you're starting to feel strain in your relationships, you might need a trusted person that you can talk to without experiencing any judgment. Well, unload the stress and get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased about your life. Someone who isn't going to judge you or take sides on anything. When there are things you can't tell anyone or feel like you can't unload on friends and family, that's what therapy can help with. So BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback, and you'll be surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. So, you can get 10% off BetterHelp just by being a Cozy Robot Show listener. All you've got to do is go to betterhelp.com slash cozy robot. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash cozy robot. How are you feeling, Mike? Ready for a couple more cues? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to I'm gonna just breathe a little bit while you read. <laughs> Absolutely. Please, please do. All right. Our next question comes from at jessein.la on Instagram, who asks, folks who already had COVID still at risk of Delta, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Delta is, um, the, the mutations we see in the Delta strain are all around transmissibility. So in addition to vaccinated people uh, being more likely to catch COVID than any other known variant other than Delta Plus, which we, the, the jury's still out there. Uh, the other thing that seems to be driving <clears throat> surges in case numbers around the world, including in the U.S., is that Delta will reinfect people who's, who have already had COVID. So if you look at L.A. County, which was doing really, really well prior to our reopening, our cases are, are taking off quickly. And our vaccination numbers are good, but they're not great. Uh, L.A. is a very big county. Uh, it's 10 million people in, in L.A. County. And... Uh, and a lot of our success against Corona came from people who have had COVID and just had natural, what we call acquired immunity to COVID. Well, those people are getting COVID again because Delta uh, pretty happily reinfects people who've already had COVID-19. So that's why we are encouraging people to get the vaccines. The vaccines are very high quality. They are very low risk. They are very well mm -hmm. studied. And they not only lower your chances of getting COVID dramatically, they effectively eliminate your chances of hospitalization and death. They don't, they don't take them to zero, but they make COVID less dangerous than other common uh, diseases like the flu. Once you're vaccinated, Delta is much less dangerous to you than a case of the flu. Uh, probably, I mean, I haven't looked at the numbers, but it's, it's probably much closer to the cold into the flu in terms of mortality wow. risks once you're vaccinated. Okay. At Which is good. Carbon... <laughs> that's a good Yeah, that's a good <laughs> that thing. is a wonderful, wonderful Even piece if I of would news. have been hospitalized with COVID, uh, my risks of death still would are just tiny, 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 tiny because of those vaccines. 
Carbon Heart Kid on Discord sent us a live message. Hey, Mike, my wife and I are both teachers fully vaccinated and off for the summer. We have two children who will both be in school this coming fall. Because our children are not vaccinated, we have them wear masks when they are indoors and out in public. They are almost four and seven years old. Currently, our community numbers are low. For our children, what precautions slash behaviors do you recommend? Oh, that's wonderful having that up on the screen. Thank you, Grace. Let's keep that there. You're welcome. Um, You're doing what you should be doing. The masking is wise. Um, You know, avoiding... Again, the risk is as the numbers of people increase, the distances decrease and certain activities. So, you know, um, going to a concert where people are singing along with the band is pretty risky. Going to a theme park, anywhere people are going to be shouting, screaming, eating or drinking. There'll be a lot of people and they're going to be close together. That increases those risks. You know, that doesn't include play dates, right? Um, mm-hmm. Spending time with other families, uh Dining outdoors with some distance between you and other tables, those in places where case spread is low are relatively low-risk activities. Uh, I do think you're right to have your children mask and continue to mask. Uh, The quality of the mask matters a lot, especially for unvaccinated people. Uh, I'm a big fan of masks that have insertable filters or double masking, where you take like a surgical mask and then wear an additional like cloth mask over it. The thing that makes masks work or not work is the fit. And I like masks that offer great fit, great filtration, and great comfort. So I'm more likely to wear them. Uh, I particularly like the masks from Outdoor Research. Uh, they have uh, some kind of standard masks that have a filter that are nice. And then they have a, what, what's uh, their outdoor slash activity mask, which is wonderful. It looks kind of like a beak once you put it on. Mm, <laughs> but it gives you this uh, pocket of air so that there's nothing touching your mouth and it's very, very breathable. So on a hot day or when you're doing a lot of activity or kids who just kind of don't like to be bothered with masks in the first place, I think those are excellent options. And hopefully uh, we're going to have news, you know, in the next couple of months about um, an emergency use authorization for children under 12 I know that is a big goal of the CDC to try to make that available prior to the start of school. They're working hard to do that without sacrificing safety. That's why it's not already done. And uh, and so hopefully by the time school starts, vaccines will be available to a broader age range of children. All right. Now on to our next question. At the rights Lisa on Twitter asks, Mike mentioned in a tweet that the CDC is only tracking breakthrough cases that lead to hospitalization. Does Mike know why they are not tracking all breakthrough cases? Well, there so there there's there's two different things. There's there's like counting a case and there's monitoring a case. So they're counting like I was vaccinated. And I have COVID, and my COVID case will show up in CDC totals on cases, and I'll be listed as a breakthrough case. You know, the, when it says the percentage of cases that were among vaccinated people, I'll be part of that percentage. Um, so they, they are counting them, but they're not tracking them. And the reason is the cases they care about are, uh, are the cases that lead to hospitalization and death. How common are those? What are the risk factors for those? 
And I can understand why that decision was made. Uh, and one of those, let's be honest, one of those is the very touchy political climate in this country about COVID and about vaccines. Everyone, It will surprise no one. I'm very disappointed in the way we have responded to this virus, the way we've discussed it. I just saw today uh, that uh, the Tennessee state legislature is pushing back on any vaccine outreach, not COVID vaccine, any vaccine outreach in the state of Tennessee because of uh, uh, Republican legislatures in Tennessee. I mean, this is this is terrible. This is terrible for people. Vaccines are safe, effective uh, medical interventions up there with hand washing in terms of the lives saved compared to harmful side effects. It's they're really that good. And it is, it is, it is shameful the way that some people are, for their own power and profit, manipulating the psychological vulnerabilities human beings have to urban legends, effectively, to turn them into political platforms right now. I mean, this is, this is a really dangerous time in history for a lot of reasons, but that's a huge piece of it. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, the CDC has got a tough, tough job. It's to try to get people to pay attention to a pandemic who don't want to talk about it anymore. They don't want to think about it anymore. And that's not just conservatives. I've noticed liberals and progressives and Democrats, they don't want to talk about COVID anymore either. <laughs> like people want to be done with it. The virus doesn't care whether people are psychologically fatigued or not. So they're focusing on the cases. They're trying to focus on the good news, and the good news is hospitalization and death are rare for vaccinated people. I still think we should be tracking and monitoring and studying breakthrough cases because we need to know, like, what what's the transmission chain look like? How often are vaccinated people spreading COVID? Also, when we say we're not, when we release statements saying that we're not monitoring breakthrough COVID cases, which the CDC has, vaccinated people are suddenly less likely to test themselves. They, they're more likely to say, oh, I probably have a cold. I might have the flu. Maybe I've got RSV. I, mm-hmm. I did that until Jenny lost her sense of taste and smell because I'd heard so much CDC messaging that it was very unlikely that I could have a severe COVID case. My symptoms felt too severe to have COVID. And the fact that Jenny and I both had COVID made me think, or both had symptoms made me think, well, it's almost certainly not COVID. We had two different vaccines. How can we both get COVID at the same time if cases are so rare, right? Uh, now, I will say the L.A. Department of Health called us and did a like an hour-long interview. They were really interested in our breakthrough case and our medical histories and what our symptoms were. So some state and county Department of Health are considering continuing to do deeper studies and analysis on breakthrough cases. But the CDC says they're trying to focus on the cases that matter with the understanding that they already know what the best solution is, and that's most people get vaccinated, right? Um, and so that's 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 why they're kind of prioritizing. They are, we're, we've got this strange dynamic in the United States where we have lots of vaccine available, which most of the world would 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 beg for, is mm-hmm. actively begging for right now, combined with a large percentage of the population that won't take the vaccine, which is why we're having these COVID surges again. You know, they're getting right. they're getting full ICUs again in in Arkansas and Missouri. They're running out of ventilators. Deaths are starting to come back, 
And that risk is possible anywhere. You have large populations of unvaccinated people, which is why the CDC is focused on breakthrough cases that lead to hospitalizations and death, but primarily focused on unvaccinated cases. There is so much messaging from every corner. Like when I turn on, I don't often watch anything that's not a streaming service, but when I do see an ad on cable or what have you, restaurant chains saying like, welcome back America. And it's, bonkers i'm like i i know someone with covid right now i the messaging of pop culture in many ways is very much like can we get on with it can we move past this can we and i understand there's a lot of like people have businesses they want to run they want to get back into doing it and people in general want to get out of their houses i completely understand that but it is it is such cognitive dissonance when I am literally working with someone who has COVID and is struggling to breathe for days. And then I have this, and then I see a Burger King commercial or something. It wasn't Burger King, but it was something. And it was like, welcome back America. You know, it's, it's wild. And I think that's why they're, people are desperate. And I think that's why, um, we got so many questions when we opened up, uh, the gates for questions to come in today regarding uh, your COVID case and COVID in general, I think we're just getting a whole lot of different messages from a lot of different places. So mm-hmm. um, speaking of questions, let's get back to uh, this one that just came in from Julia on YouTube. Julia says, I'm curious about the likelihood of new, even more dangerous variants developing. Mike, can you speak a little bit to that? That's a great question. That's one I think about all the time and have studied a lot and uh first no one knows for sure epidemiologists have heard say that over and we don't know we don't we do know generally generally over time diseases that are contagious typically mutate to be less deadly because this is what the virus Mm. wants um, you know, if you think about some of the most successful viruses of all, the rhinovirus, which is much more contagious than even the Delta variant of COVID, or perhaps comparable depending on what the R not value for Delta ends up being, it's not dangerous. You get the cold, you're like, oh man, but like, right. uh, or like think about herpes simplex A, like cold sore virus. Oh, mm-hmm. What, 89% of people have it? Doesn't kill anybody, right? Mm-hmm. That's what a virus wants to do. Um, And so typically over time, you know, novel viruses enter some kind of population equilibrium, people's immune systems adapt, and then they become endemic and then ultimately routine. The question was the road to that look like, is there, is there possibility that we could get mutations that increase like the likelihood to infect people and the likelihood that the virus causes severe case presentation? That's possible. Sure. It's, I, I, you know, and, and some epidemiologists say that the what we have right now is these mixes of vaccinated and unvaccinated populations intermingling with very few mitigation measures is kind of a, a selection pressure to train a virus like that to emerge. Uh, that's not a consensus. Some epidemiologists say that. I've heard other epidemiologists say that's nonsense. And when epidemiologists debate epidemiologists, I sit back and listen to both without the <laughs> expertise to <laughs> to pick a side. Right. Uh, so it's possible. It's not something I'm terribly concerned about. 
I do have concerns. It it is very likely that if vaccination, if we have large pockets of uh, people who are anti-vaccine in this country and around the world, over time, uh, boosters will be necessary because it, that's just how natural selection works, right? Mm -hmm. The viruses that are able to pass between vaccinated people, we be more successful. They'll be more fit. They'll outcompete the other variants. And then what do you know? Uh, a lot more people start getting COVID. And then the road from there to, to severe illness for vaccinated people seems shorter to me. But I don't know. Nobody knows, which is why it's so important that we continue to do widespread testing, why we continue to do genetic sequencing, why we continue to study each and every case that results in a death or hospitalization is so that we know as soon as possible where the variants are moving and what the risk factors are. That's the work that virologists and epidemiologists do every day. And aren't we so glad that they do? Right. Uh, Follow-up question on that, just so I understand, and maybe I'm clarifying for someone in the audience who knows, but I will ask, is you mentioned that variants can be less dangerous and is, and we don't know if it will be in COVID's case, um, but people are trying, are hard at work figuring that out now. But is it because, um, is it because when you get a virus, if it's killing its host, it can't continue on. And so it's like, its whole goal is to be not like super deadly so it can continue to spread. Well, not so there's no goal. Viruses don't right. think. <laughs> right. It's not like rubbing its but hands there are, together. There are, there, are, there are selection pressures. Okay. So natural selection doesn't care what happens to you after you breed. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that, that's just how it works. So like right. health issues that come up like after your kids are independent, Natural mm-hmm. selection doesn't really well, – that's why heart disease is so common. There's no selection mm-hmm. pressure against heart attacks because they happen, like, late enough in life you've had time to have a child and for that child to be old enough to survive on their own. Mm-hmm. So natural selection doesn't really screen about that. That's why people – not people, animals that are breeding age tend to always be the healthiest because there's lots of selection pressure there. They're in their prime. So if a virus kills you after it transmits itself, that's no big deal. Other than the fact that, like, human fear is a selection pressure. So if a virus <laughs> yeah. gets a reputation for killing people, so that anytime something goes, everyone runs away from them, right. right, that's a selection pressure against that virus. So that's what I mean. Over time, from the combination of population immunity, lots of people having immune systems that are ready for that virus, uh, and the virus itself mutating, diseases tend to be less dangerous over time. I understand. I understand. Thank you for clarifying. Like bubonic plague used to kill a lot of people. And if you get bubonic <laughs> plague now, like it, yeah. it's, it's still not good, but we don't right. have like concerns that the bubonic plague is going to sweep across the North American continent in its current iteration and cause a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so a really interesting question came in. I had never considered this before, and I would love to hear your answer, Mike. Alyssa from Discord asks... Uh, I'm in a state where vaccinations are low. Vaccines are probably going to expire. I got the J&J. Should I try to get another vaccination with Moderna or Pfizer? No. Okay. Now, I understand where you're coming from. If I had J&J, I would be asking myself the same question. But 
vaccines are safe because we do lots of research and trials about mixing vaccines are still ongoing. So what you don't want to do is take an unapproved combination of vaccines and then potentially expose yourself to more risk than COVID itself, which would be possible from mixing like an mRNA and a more traditional adenovirus-based vaccine. So no, don't do that. There, It is possible very, very soon we're going to have guidance about that. I think okay. it, it's it's possible and even likely that the first people to get COVID booster shots in the United States are going to be the people who got the J&J vaccines. In the meantime, let health experts do their thing and understand that the J&J vaccine is very effective at preventing what? Hospitalization and death from COVID infections, including the Delta variant. At Luke Z Ward on Instagram asks, do you think shutdowns will be reinstated in the U.S.? I literally don't think any variant could shut the U.S. down. People don't care. Yeah. Like, they would, the loss of life from, I think, potentially street violence would be higher yep. than even a much more. Now, th I say this like grieved. Like my, right. my kind of like, my perception of uh, Americans as a population group has never been lower. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I just have no expectation of like decent altruistic behavior from Americans as a block anymore. It's gone. Right. So, but because of that, no, I don't think lockdowns are coming. I think a situation could come where I lock myself down again. <laughs> That's possible, yep. but a national lockdown, it's not happening. I, I, I think there's the, like the potential you would have a, you'd like go from a the cold civil war to a hot one. Right, um, right. You know, which is is very disappointing. Other 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 societies and cultures like they willingly went into lockdowns to protect each other. Uh, it I, it's such a strange thing that's become this like politicized freedom thing. Uh, you know, it, it, at this point, conservatives are literally dying to own the libs, uh, and I you know I don't. <laughs> That's for sociologists. We have left epidemiology now, and we have gone into to, to sociological and anthropological concerns. It's interesting to me that there's this sentiment, usually, from people who don't want to get vaccinated, that they'll do anything for their country, but then maybe not wear a mask. Then it's suddenly, it, and yeah. Back to the science questions <laughs> before I get too political. Rob on Discord asks, what As is you know, the latest... The Cozy show is terrified of getting political. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know that we're not. I yeah. know that I, I wouldn't be... I'm not a pundit. <laughs> I can't speak to those things as you yeah. can. So I, I leave that up to others. Um, Rob on Discord asks... What is the latest information on long COVID, its causes, risk uh -huh. factors, and prognoses? Does being vaccinated make any difference? We don't know. Okay. Well, there's been some minor, minor, nearly anecdotal data points that are encouraging regarding vaccination and long COVID. Long COVID is still a mystery. It is both very common and 
nearly a medical mystery. Uh, I've read what papers there are. I've read interviews with doctors who haven't published yet but are studying it. Mm. Again, it is likely a continual um, immune system response to a virus that may not even be present in the body anymore. Uh, long COVID is sometimes called MISC, although multi-inflammatory syndrome dash COVID. Uh, although we're starting to see that perhaps long COVID and MISC are two separate things, or perhaps MISC is a subcategory of long COVID. In some cases, it's possible that long COVID truly is um, psychological in origins. That does not mean not real, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think what we're going to find is long COVID is an umbrella term that is ultimately going to end up describing, I don't know if it's three or if it's 25 different uh, medical and psychological syndromes that originated with a COVID infection. Now, why do I say psychological and don't say that's not real? Well, number one, feelings are real. Feelings are physical things that happen in the body. And number two, if you have an emotional response to a physiological change in the brain, that's still medical in origin. That's not psychological in origin. And mm. psychological in origin is still medically significant. Right. <laughs> Probably one of the biggest problems we have in treating our, our body's health in the West is our almost total avoidance of uh, acknowledging the physiological validity of psychological processes. So anyway, I think we're going to be studying long COVID for years. And um, we're certainly far, I think, from having how does vaccine impact and what are treatment options look like when we're still struggling to understand what it what it is. And I say that as someone who has friends who have and are experiencing uh, long COVID. And as someone who is, is, I really don't want to experience it myself. Like one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I wanted to avoid COVID was not death. Like I can handle death. I'm not afraid to die, but I sure don't want an additional intersection of disability in my life. Mm. So, uh, personally speaking, I, yeah, I hope the vaccines are, are very effective in preventing anything we describe as long COVID. Uh, I've got a vested interest there. Mike, as we wrap up this episode, I there have been so many questions live. We got questions earlier in the day about talking to people who are anti-vax. We've done episodes on that in the past. Are there um, are there any thoughts you have on what can be said to people who are still anti-vaccine, uh, family members and loved ones who... <sighs> refuse to get vaccinated even now? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, if I, if I could choose a guest to appear suddenly in this moment, I'd probably propaganda. I know props talk to a lot of people who are hesitant. Um mm. My friend William Matthews has, has has literally convinced a lot of hesitant people to to switch over. Uh, of course, both Prop and William are black, and vaccine hesitancy among black and African Americans is different. <laughs> there, there's some like historically valid institutional <laughs> mistrust right. Right. in communities of color, and it's it's actually a I think a different syndrome from what you see having happening among like say an evangelical white person 
um, where that you know the the anti vaccine there's those conversations have to happen over a long time. I don't think there's anything that can be said in a single sit down. Uh, it involves a lot of listening. It involves a lot of question asking and not a lot of explaining. Um, you know, uh, at this point. I ha- I'm I have too much COVID and I'm too tired to mm-hmm. to dress up my thoughts and soften the blows in ways I typically would. At this point, kind of the Trump evangelical space, um, sociologically is going to be pretty indistinguishable from a cult. And so when we think about talking to anti-vaxxers or talking to to, to evangelical Trump supporters, you're really talking about uh, people who've been conditioned with very cult-like psychological mechanics and uh those people are not now don't get me wrong to a large degree nobody makes rational decisions i mean my gosh uh i had already thought about that for years and our collective lack of response to climate listen to me like white liberals and progressives aren't like wildly lower in their carbon footprints than their conservative friends and family right so like they might intellectually assent to the idea that climate change is happening but they don't make decisions based as if climate change is real right they're still buying new cars right (laughs) Mm -hmm. new suvs right so um they're still buying a lot of stuff from amazon prime because it feels good emotionally i get it i buy things on amazon prime right i'm not i'm not standing at a distance so number one people generally aren't terribly motivated by rational thought at all but there's a there's an actual dissolution of social cohesion across society and a shared view of reality when these kind of cult mechanics come into play. And uh, I don't know what happens in the next 10 years based on that mm-hmm. in the United States, how common this kind of thinking has become. Uh, I do know you have to make choices for yourself. Listen, unless you have like a legitimate uh, medical, like an immunosuppressant organ transplant, your immunocompromised reason to not take a vaccine. I'm not spending time with vaccinated people anymore. I'm vaccinated and I just got COVID almost certainly from an unvaccinated person. So I don't know what to say to those people. What I'm just having to start to do is set boundaries with those people. Like, look, you can believe what you want to believe. You can follow you want to follow. These are the rules in shared society. I'm going to enforce and hold those rules to the best of my ability. Um, So people who don't want to get their vaccinations, don't get your vaccination. Do not be around me or my family. Um, And, you know, as much as possible, I'm going to support uh, anything that requires vaccinations for participation. I'm going to go, if I get through this, technically I'll be out of quarantine, but if I'm symptom-free... Next Saturday, I'll be at a Foo Fighters concert at the Forum in L.A., and guess what? That private event, the event facilitators have elected that every person present must be vaccinated against COVID-19, right? I'm going to support things like that because uh, the number of children under 12 I saw in Disneyland without masks, which right now the guidance at the state and federal level is if you're unvaccinated, you have to be masked children under 12 can't get the vaccine so those children were absolutely unvaccinated they and their families were unmasked what did i learn 
The honor system doesn't work. Right now, for whatever reason in American society, you can't actually trust people to do things that are even legally required to protect the common good. And that means all that's left is to set and hold boundaries with those people. If I ever do stage events again, you better bet you will have to show proof of vaccination to get in. And uh, I don't know what else to do. Thank you for sharing that, Mike. And thank you for answering all our questions, even as sick as you are. Everyone, thank you so much for the well wishes for Jenny and Mike. Um, and thank you so much for sending us your questions today and to being open to hearing uh, the answers and uh, and for tuning in for this stream. Uh, that's the end of our show. All right. Next, next uh, from, from here, the rest of the summer, Super Science Summer, we are doing the show every other week. Uh, to give our, our team a chance to uh, rest and enjoy the summer months. However, if you'd like to hear from us every week, do know that we've launched a second program just for the Cozy Robots. You can only get it by being a Cozy Robot member. It's called Some Assembly Required. That's a behind-the-scenes look at what we are up to, not only on this program, but on other shows we are working on making and other products and media. So you can hear more from Grace, but also Victory and Amy and Tanner and everyone. You can learn more by going to CozyRobots.com. And I cannot believe, even in my current state of COVID exhaustion, <laughs> I was able to improv and add. That was great. That <laughs> anyway, was incredible. I just I'm watched a go, maestro at work. <laughs> I'm going to go take a long nap, Grace. Good, Thank good. you so much. Bye, everybody. The Cozy Robot Show.